0: Hello, welcome to the Hearsay podcast. My name is Saya, and this is episode number 69. Ooh, rude number. Uh, It's been a little while between podcasts for a few reasons. The most exciting one being that I've been working on a solo album and it's almost done. It's getting mastered right now. Uh, So that feels really exciting. Look, I've no idea when it's coming out, but um, I just wanted to let you know there's something coming and I will definitely keep you posted on when it will be released. My guest on today's podcast is Luke Steele from bands The Sleepy Jackson, Dreams, Empire of the Sun, and a new project called H3000, who have an album coming out today, the 17th of September 2021. Go check it out. I've been listening to it for a few weeks and it's really great. Uh, Luke and I chat a bunch about the inspiration for the album. He tells me about growing up in a blues club and how he got a start in music, and we reminisce a bit about old times, uh, including what type of things you do to make an impression when you're younger. This is a little bit of a shorter episode, and I also had a couple of sound issues. So you might hear a couple of bits where the zoom audio comes through my clean audio. Uh, I tried my best to to edit these out and I take full responsibility for this error. Hopefully you won't notice too much, but there are a couple of little whoopsies in there where, you know, I was talking over Luke or he was talking over me and then it's hard to separate those two tracks. Um, Luke's strange show story, which I'm very excited about, was illustrated by Liam Barling, And it's absolutely amazing. Please remember, I'm always looking for people who would like to do illustrations for the podcast. So if you think you might be interested, please shoot me a message on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. As always, you can see all my guest strangest show stories illustrated on those links, and they are all incredible. So grateful to have so many amazing people involved. Thank you so much again for listening. Here is episode number 69 with Luke Steele. luke thanks so much for doing my podcast
1: great to be here thanks for having steel on the show
0: (laughs) i feel like every time i hear about you you have a new band or a new collaboration and they i feel like every time they have a different specific sound or vision is that something you spend a lot of time thinking about
1: i think it just happens and i am pretty prolific and diverse like just with my whole palette i guess like a you know, I grew up in a blues club, but then I was, I got right into electronic music and field recordings and, um, went to art school. So, and I guess, you know, each different project, it's a, it's an opportunity to become a, a new character, kind of like actors, you know? Totally. You know, it's like you run into Tom Hanks and he's, you know, being a castaway, or he's been Forrest Gump or yeah totally weird way of just being a, a a movie star in the music industry
0: yeah and I've, I feel like you've nailed it
1: yeah oh, that's good <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if anyone really cares anymore because each time I do a new project I think the labels just look at me like oh my god just
0: what now
1: <laughs> put out a record and
0: well I congratulations on the H3000 album I've been listening to it this week and it's It's quite extraordinary. Like, the production is so dense and there's so much going on. Do you buy into that thing where um, there needs to be something new happening every six to eight bars to keep a song interesting?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure, really. I kind of... I love um, how it sort of happened, this record, because we're both jarring to details and sonics and little things happening. And I guess, yeah, we both start... It has to be a good song, but then you just start they're yeah, filling in the gaps
0: I don't know if everyone knows that it seems like you've named the band after an effects rack the uh, eventide harmonizer h3000 do you feel like that's inspired the record or like the sound of the record
1: yeah quite quite a bit like it's kind of always been my favorite effects unit and you know it's always my number one effect for you know all of my vocals and guitars and things
0: it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it kind of just has that, you know, when you get those units from the seventies, it's it's undeniable, you know, that it has something, you know, adds so much dimension. But I sort of started thinking after that that it was more like, um, like the heavens in Year Three Thousand or the heart in Year Three Thousand, you know, what would be those issues and.
0: So you're looking into the future rather than looking into the vintage rack unit.
1: <laughs> yeah, people Google it and they're like,
0: Ugh. "Well, I think there's a lot of chat at the moment about the um the plugin, right? There's like a H3000 plugin."
1: Yeah, I've got a sponsorship from them actually, and they've they've been really oh, really good to me. But yeah, I've been trying to um, talk them into doing a custom pedal. That would be cool. But um, what
0: would it be? What's what's your dream pedal?
1: I'm always trying to find the perfect um, syncopation kind of thing where you can tap tempo and it can loop on that sort of thing um there is stuff like that but it just I don't know all those loop pedals just seem so confusing and I want to loop and then phase it and then do another track and record bongos and then <laughs> you know what I mean reverse yeah. it and record 128 tracks and then bounce it all down it's like
0: how hard is it <laughs> <it's like laughs> I've only got a memory man and even that I mean that's really simple and I find that confusing or i I just find it hard to keep in time with myself
1: yeah i've been looking at that new electro harmonics one where i think you can set tempo and the bars and then it gives you
0: so that's your your dream pedal is just like a really easy to use cool loop pedal
1: yeah and something um that just sounds like the h3000 i guess yeah
0: well, I hope even and Ty are listening.
1: <laughs> Their H9 pedals are pretty amazing.
0: Do you know, it's funny, I've got a, a tiny bit of an insight because I'm good friends with your front of house person and I was talking to John Boy this week and he said, yeah, ask him about the H9. John also told me that uh, you have like a secret weapon synth and I was really intrigued because I am a big synth nerd. Do you know what he's talking about?
1: Yeah, I don't know if I want to say it now. You don't have to. Don't let my secret weapon. <laughs>
0: but you do have one thing that you kind of use on everything. Yeah, I have that too. I th- I wonder if every musician has that something that is like their go-to. It's like your favorite outfit or something. Like you always know you look good in it, so you wear it when you need to feel most comfortable. I wonder if every musician has that with like one guitar or one synth or one vocal effect.
1: I think so. You know, like. I think you're right, like about the outfit, like my father still plays and, you know, it, it's quite amazing being in your 70s and you're, you're using the same equaliser pedal since like 1970 and it's
0: like... Yeah, it feels like home. Um, well, speaking of your dad, can we go back to little Luke with a muso dad... Can you tell me about, like, what kind of music was playing in your house and what made you want to be a musician?
1: Like, it was always all the cool, like, a lot of J.J. Kale, like, John Prine. Oh. Yeah, the, you know, all of the, like, Don Williams and lots of Bob Dylan and all that kind of stuff. And I think being, um, I don't know, just being part of that whole scene, like, the the classic beer gardens, like, going there as were the kids' outings and you know he's still the president of the blues club there which has been running for 25 amazing i think it's like 30 years now every tuesday was kind of me hanging out with you know hundreds of old blues cats and then they would all come back to the house so every tuesday was a a party and oh yeah i sort of fell into it and then he started doing this thing where when i was just starting to learn licks and stuff where at the club shows he'd just call me out like he'd have like a seven piece band and he'd just go my son's out there he's coming up to play some play some licks for you and not tell anyone (laughs) yes I got thrown in the deep end which is really good learning and I always found it great there's a lot of wisdom in in a lot of what these blues guys said so I kind of was fortunate about that
0: do you remember some of the some of the advice, some of the wisdom?
1: Yeah, just a lot of the, the stuff being on the road, really. Like my dad always say, you got to know what your first song is, you know, how you're going to, you know, introduce the crowd and to know that back to front, you know, because if something goes wrong or, and you have to, um, you know, build a set that has highs and lows and you have to have a joke, you have to have, you have to have your, you know, blues song when things start getting rowdy and, you have to, you know, know when to finish and to, how to make an exit and all that kind of great show stuff.
0: That's amazing. And I feel like you've taken that advice and run with it like times a thousand because I feel like your shows are so highly, you know, like visual and there's so much going on. And, you, you know, and also like your outfits and your, like I feel like your whole performance is like next level. Uh, I actually I have a really funny question that I'm hoping will be funny because I I look at your production and I'm always so impressed by bands that have this massive show what are some production ideas that didn't make it like what are some things that that you like ideas that are just absolutely bonkers that that haven't seen the light of day
1: oh god <laughs> yeah there were so many like Like, I wanted to build tracks around the stage. Like, we were going to actually do that one time so you can stand on the tracks and it just, it looks like you're basically gliding. You know, just a lot of stuff they do in Vegas, you know, which just creates illusions. Like, one time I was going to spend a few weeks in Vegas with some magicians and, (laughs) you know, design certain things. You know, if there was a phase, I was right into Michael Jackson and how they would do all those illusionists tricks yeah he'd work with illusionists and stuff with um you know just different things that from the audience is
0: I guess there's a fine line between like doing magic on stage and you know looking like a doofus and doing magic on stage and being an illusionist being good at it you know
1: yeah like we we did a few basic things like we'd have a riser at the back and then when it would descend down you know, the, the foggers and the smoke would go. So it would just look like the emperor's disappeared into smoke. <laughs> yeah. That
0: sounds so good. I like to sometimes think back on my first memory of my guest. And, you know, you and I don't know each other, but I have really strong memories of your band, in, you know, back in the early 2000s when my first band, Sekiden, were playing in Perth and you were sort of in the same like in the same family of bands, I guess, that were around at that time, like and Dyer and Turnstile. And, but I remember hearing that Glass Houses song and fucking loving it. I was like, who is this? What are your memories of that time, like when that song came out or when that EP came out?
1: That was really exciting because, I don't know, there's something when you're young and vulnerable and you kind of sleeping on the floor and you feel real and you feel like you're really doing it and and it's great when it gets bigger and it's shinier and that but it it just gets more professional and consequently more boring I guess.
0: I just remember personally like really loving that first Sleepy Jackson EP and I remember even like watching your Glass Houses video on Rage and I was like they look you know you looked really 90s you had like your beanie on and i just remember going yeah they're they're one of us you know
1: (laughs) i'm glad you remember that yeah that was when my my older brother jesse was in the band and i think he he did the lyrics for that tune and yeah we would we toured for a few years and it's a bit on i think lovers had came out we um kevin and jebediah asked us to go on a tour around australia and that was the you know, hands down, pants down moment where I was like, yes, we've made it. Yeah.
0: What would you tell um, Glass Houses Luke now if you if you could talk to him as uh, H3000 Luke?
1: You know, I probably wouldn't tell him anything because he probably wouldn't listen anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I'm thinking about that a lot lately. You know, you make so many mistakes and you're so extreme and You're such a mess, but that's what makes you as an artist and as a as a person. When you're that young, youthful era, looking back now, was just it's quite wild the things that you do to make an impression. You know, it's yeah. I'd never do those things. What Um, kind of things? You know, you sort of um. I'd always think it was like a display. So, I think that's just part of my mental psyche. But you think you know, you fall into a psyche of being a rock star. So I remember going into a pub and just throwing pool balls off tables or just, you know, smashing <laughs> a glass full of whiskey in the middle of the dance floor, cause you wanted to make an impression or, you know, to destroying guitars, yeah. to hotel rooms, to being a total loser, you know? And I think in your mind, you perceive it as being this, you know, crazy genius
0: yeah yeah
1: kind of like you build your like you build your movie but then you realize you can't do that
0: at what point did you have that self-realization of I, I don't think I I need to do that to make an impression
1: I think I had a few moments but there, yeah there was a big point one time when I smashed everything on stage and and then the hotel and it just Everything, you know, crumbled down to nothing. And, you know, I got, yeah, really depressed. And yeah, that was definitely the turning point.
0: Do you know why the sadness came?
1: Oh, just because it's a superficial vision. You know, like when music's music meant to just be built on love and passion, where I think, you know, some of those early days it it was built on, <laughs> you know just a superficial fantasy, and it it's yeah. obviously all about the music, but some of that can always overshadow it. Yeah. You know, it's the fun part because you're young and you can kind of get away with it, you know, in a way.
0: Yeah, people can just say, like, oh, he he was young and didn't know any better.
1: Yeah, and people love that, and I think that's what that. how they say youth is wasted on the young, you know, because yeah. <laughs> you don't really understand the energy and the vulnerability and and kind of danger and venom you have in you you know and
0: and i think that 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 sort of craziness plus ambition can be really dangerous because i think you can you can sort of self-sabotage
1: <laughs> yeah i oh, know it's, it's quite funny like when you look back yeah <laughs> i talked to daniel daniel johns he's like such a great old friend of mine and Now when we talk and we look back, it's like, it's like, thank you, sweet Jesus. You know, (laughs) we got through.
0: (laughs) When you did your project with Daniel, I immediately was like, that makes sense. That's a perfect match. You guys are going to do something insane. Uh, Do you think you'll do some more work with him?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, when we can actually catch up together, I think, you know, the Zoom recording doesn't really work for us, you know, because we're so tangible in the studio and like, you know waving our hands in the air and I know there's a certain
0: way of working with other people isn't there that's just too hard over the internet
1: Yeah I think so with with dreams for sure it's got to be in the room and
0: Yeah I remember like um I did a big day out with Silverchair and and I remember Daniel just being the most hassled person on that tour like everywhere we went I felt so sorry for him like he was just mobbed at every bloody hotel, yeah. I don't know how your relationship is with fans, but I felt like it can really have an effect on a person.
1: No, sometimes in certain countries around the world, but yeah, nowhere near the extent of what Dan would have to deal with.
0: Poor dude. Yeah. What is your relationship like with your fans?
1: It differs from country to country, you know. Like, like I was thinking about how you're saying about the strange um, shows. We did this one show in Lithuania and it was on the border of Belarus and it was just so far out there and, um, you know, backstage is in a castle and it was just, where the hell are we? Then we got on stage and it was 15,000 people and everyone knew
0: every single
1: word in English. It was like, this is quite strange that I'm in this Lithuania, the other side of the world.
0: That's so amazing. How amazing, like the power of music.
1: Yeah, and then we played in Moscow and a girl had been on the train for two days. So I think, yeah, as you probably know, you get all sorts, huh? And and my dad would yeah. always say, fans are like your family, you can't pick them.
0: Yeah, t- totally. So are you are you in LA now? Is it opening up a bit? Or what, what's the go with COVID at the moment?
1: I'm right now in San Luis Obispo, in Southern California. I do live like in Northern California on a ranch, but there's fires everywhere. Everything's on oh, fire. So we got evacuated and we are just been in this Airbnb for a few weeks. But, um... Oh,
0: I'm so sorry about that. Is that scary?
1: Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild because it's just looks like Mars, you know, everything's red and yeah smoky and... But, um, you know, America just... It's like the street kid, you know. America will do what America wants, and I think now it's, <laughs> if you want to do a show, you can, but, you know.
0: Do you want to? No,
1: nah, I've I've cancelled all my shows because it's just so... It's still so dodgy, you know. Everyone's getting sick, so... Yeah. Yeah, they're starting to have, um, you know, proof of vaccination and, and negative test because it's just going to send the industry bankrupt, if not, I think.
0: I know, it's so scary, isn't it? I feel like Australia is sort of starting to go through what the states went through a year ago, where everyone's just starting to get vaccinated and I don't know if there's any way of controlling the numbers now. We were so good at controlling the numbers and now it just feels like it's gotten out of hand.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's always that one guy as well that'll (laughs) think it's a good idea to...
0: Some idiot.
1: Yeah, and it only really takes that person, but yeah I, I kind of I was talking yeah. to my publishers the other day, and I you know I was, I was like, I wish I could give you some magical advice. The only one I had was make sure you buy your wine in bulk
0: <laughs> yeah
1: that was all, that was all I could come up with really. So
0: you've got this album coming out in September, right?
1: Yeah, you say like a few weeks.
0: How are you gonna launch it without being able to play? Have you what are your plans with it?
1: I think it's just gonna be launched on on the on the new (laughs) live platform the internet and um yeah (laughs) and just hope for the best like every other artist you know these days it's like just such a even the music industry feels like it's in a pandemic it's just so strange how everything's back to front and i don't even really understand things anymore
0: i uh have. have been thinking about the same things because I just finished mixing a solo record and a friend of mine was saying to me the other day like because I haven't released a solo record in like eight years or something and he was like oh man it's so different now like you got to think about things like getting onto playlists and I was like what <laughs> how do you do that <laughs> you know it's just so weird
1: it is built on numbers now that's what's sad it's like I even hear stories about that some of the labels that, like, you know, they find the numbers first and then they do the music. So it's like a reverse process. And
0: Whoa, that's weird. I don't understand that at all.
1: So I think if I think one idea could be you release your record under the same name as the TikTok star. <laughs> There's got to be some way to crack the system, or you just change your name to um, Kim Kardashian or something. <laughs>
0: Maybe. Well, I'm gonna look out for you changing your name. Another thing that I I heard you say in an interview, you had were listening or talking to Joe Walsh from the Eagles, and he was saying you have to be a businessman in the music industry to survive, and I think that's really fascinating to, uh, to sort of grow up from from that young, um, reckless Sleepy Jackson kid into a like someone who is really aware of of music as a business.
1: It's always resonated with me because, yeah, it's not until you get older and you start to, yeah, realise that how much goes into putting on a show and the books and how much everyone takes their cut of the pie that you have to really become a businessman to survive. And, yeah, in the early days you'd you'd just say, stay in a hotel here, let's go there, and you'd sort of, you're sort of superfluous to it and you're picking up the tab for it all. And Yeah. Yeah.
0: So expensive. Everything is so expensive if you're the one that's in charge. Uh,
1: yeah. Once I get on that, I think, because I'm so heavily, I'm, I'm kind of like Mick Jagger now, I'm involved with everything.
0: <laughs> I love that you've picked Mick Jagger.
1: And you're like, well, this costs you this, that photographer that you like, that costs, you know. Yeah. So...
0: Yeah, but d- does that make you feel more in control or or does it make you feel depressed being across all of those business decisions?
1: I think a bit of both, you know, because, you know, sometimes you work so hard. Like I worked so hard on the show. Like the last Empire Tour we did, it was meant to be a comeback and I worked probably four months, you know. I, I had um, this amazing actor, Karen um, Fukuhara, come in who's just a big Hollywood star and we I had an animator fly down from from San Fran you know he's worked on Star Wars and everything so we had them we're filming in my garage in Santa Monica and that was just for one song where I did this thing where I'm singing to this avatar and she sings back to me you know and then we'd design all new wardrobe and design the stage and the set and and then you do a whole tour like that and then you you'd literally come out and Half of it gets taken in withholding tracks. Yeah. or you know.
0: You've made five bucks, but you've really impressed everyone.
1: <laughs> it's hard sometimes, but rock and roll. Yeah, totally.
0: I mean, I feel like I'd be remiss not to ask you about contributing to like Jay Z and Beyonce's albums.
1: Yeah, the Beyonce track. I was working with Jeff Basker, who's a you know incredible pop producer. And it was one of those perfect timing things where he was working on her record and they needed one more song and we just happened to write that song. And it was right in the last week of the record and she loved it. And, you know, it was one of those perfect things. And that was, a, that was a perfect case of being in LA, where, funny enough, the Jay-Z track, I was in Perth, (laughs) out of all places, (laughs) he said, like, when when can you get to New York, and I was like, oh, from Perth, probably take about two weeks, you know, know, I looked at some flights, and it was like, you know, with the time difference, and the stopovers, and all that, I was like, yeah, don't have the time, you know, so he sent me the track, and said, you got 24 hours, and I did, and then he called me at, like, five in the morning, and was like, genius love it oh
0: I love it that's a, such a cool LA story even though you're in Perth
1: but I don't know LA is just such an incredible city it's just I've heard quotes you know people say it's a storytelling capital of the world and yeah I was fortunate enough to yeah meet a lot of great writers a lot of great actors you know a lot of great creatives you know
0: yeah oh that's awesome I'm so happy that you've that you've ended up somewhere even though you're your vicinity is on fire at the moment which is actually sounds a lot like australia i feel like california and australia are are sisters in a lot of ways but you know it sounds like you've you've landed somewhere where there's a lot of opportunities for your amazing ideas
1: yeah no i'm feel fortunate you know i think i always need people that are like everyone that are just wilder and better than you and crazier to kind of you know, push you along. And I think that's what was so good about moving over there. You're just, you're always learning.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, I want to ask you my final question, which is the question that I ask everybody. Uh, What is your strangest show experience?
1: Okay, my strangest show experience. There's a few, but I have to go with this one. So we got asked to play this big festival in Portugal, Lisbon in Portugal, And we were to go on right after Prince. (laughs) So Prince played from 12 to two and then Empire of the Sun come on at 2.30. So it was getting to dinner time and there was literally only one road to this festival. Um, and it was just chock a block right back into the city. So then before we know it, there's a whole bunch of police cars. We're getting escorted, Empire, with Prince. Oh, my God. So we make it to the festival <laughs> and Prince is playing and, you know, because we're playing, we get to go down in the front VIP part and he just keeps coming to the front and doing these, you know, 360 moves and just pointing right at my wife, her. <laughs> <laughs> like just tuning right in. And Wow he just kept coming down and, you know. And just being there watching Prince was just so strange. So then we finished watching you know, finished with Purple Rain and then as he was walking off, you know, we waved and he just sort of stopped and gave us a nod. And then we had to go (laughs) on after Prince. Oh fifty thousand people and and try and make something sound good.
0: I cannot imagine going on after after Prince that that's like my worst nightmare but do you think it actually made you go okay how can we did it encourage you like did it inspire you to go bigger and harder
1: oh yeah we had to do everything you know from cartwheels to jumping down the front (laughs) To it was just you know turn everything up just just do anything anything to not
0: wow that's an amazing story your wife must have just been like the happiest person alive
1: yeah it was because it was coming true you know it's always those things like you have your dream and the partner's like had this dream and you were with you know (laughs) michelle far for all night but this one then it was like come on
0: i love that thank you so much for talking to me i really appreciate it
1: oh thank you good to good to (laughs) meet and have a chat